Hi, I'm Amber, and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Bruce Wilkie, and he has a very unique situation that will shed some light on some questions I know people are probably very curious about. Welcome, Bruce. Hi, Amber. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so first of all, so people can kind of get to know you a little bit. Can you go through the issues that you had that led you to the situation that we'll be talking a lot about? I want to know that whole health journey, like it must have been very traumatic for you to have to go through all of that in order for and you'll all understand this once he, he talks about this. Sure, if you yeah. just go through that journey for me, that would be awesome. Yeah, sure. So um, it all kind of started when I was 18 years old. Um, you know, it's my first year in college, first semester in college. Um, you know, I went to, uh, to Longwood University in Virginia, and um, I actually wasn't doing too well. Um, I, was, uh, I was a musician, music major, um, and I was doing the typical college thing, uh, freshman, you know, eating really poorly and failing some classes. Uh, it was a tough situation. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of things that came down, and I was, I was kind of resigned to the idea that I would probably not be coming back the next semester anyway. Uh, until I got my grades situated, you know, um, and so there might have been a, a semester out anyway. Um, so I was coming to that realization. Um, and then I started to have this, you know, we're, we're coming up on Christmas break. Um, and uh, so it's the first semester, you know, so we're there since August, right? So, you know, September, October, November, that's three, three months. Somewhere around December, I started to have um, serious gastrointestinal pain. Uh, in addition to the stress that I was under, I was, you know, eating, you know, drinking all that kind of stuff really poorly. Um, uh, so I I just sort of chalked it up to that. And so here it is, um, people are moving out. Um, and I am to the point where I'm going to the bathroom 10 times a day and it's just bloody stool for every movement. Um, and so I go to the nurse, I try to make an appointment with the nurse, like the school people. And this is probably around December 20th or something. Um, maybe the 18th. That would basically, I was, I was staying later than other people had to stay because, um, I wasn't even sure that I was going to go back home. I thought I would stay around, um, and, and actually, uh, stay with some friends in the town while I got things together. Um, so I tried to make an appointment and I couldn't get in. Um, it got so bad um, that I was in such pain that I ended up going to the hospital in the ER in, in, that, in that town. It's a tiny town and everybody's, uh, everybody's going away, so there's no one there. So I go to the hospital and I'm in agony. Uh, I check myself in the ER and they admit me right away. Um, and then I have an emergency colonoscopy. Um, at this point, uh, I don't really know what's going on. They basically give me some sort of sedative, I think, and I'm just a mess, right? Um, they, they could barely do the colonoscopy and things were so inflamed. Uh, yeah. And so after that was over, I'm recovering and my mom gets a phone call um, and they're like, hey, we're probably gonna have to take your son's colon. And, you know, he's 18 years old. And my mom was like, oh my God, you know, and she, she came out as soon as that happened. And, and I was recovering and they threw me on, you know, steroids, IV and things like that. And I recovered in the hospital and after about um, almost a week, uh, maybe a little longer. Um, by that point, it was 
it was Christmas right at, right after Christmas, right? It was some, somewhere a week after Christmas or something like that. I drove the, you know, five hours home roughly in my car and was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis at 18 years old. And so there was a lot going on um, at that point. Uh, I obviously had some issues with school um, and I couldn't, couldn't go back that next semester um, anyway, which was actually kind of a good thing. Um, not only did I have to be out because of this situation, but, you know, academically it was a mess. Um, so I don't really know what led up to this specifically, but after some of the research that I did of in talking to the doctor, I had um, contracted uh, C. diff as well. Um, and C. diff is, a, is an imbalance in your, um, it's pretty common among you, you see in ulcerative colitis patients to, to get you C. diff. Um, they don't really know why or how I got it, but they, there were a few cases at my college and I actually know one other person that's still battling ulcerative colitis today in the same class that I'm in, the same era, same age. Um, so it's possible that it was in some food or something like that, um, because it can very, very rarely transmit if somebody doesn't wash their hands properly or something and prepares food. So, um, basically I go back to school, uh, finish school, meet my wife and things are okay. Um, I'm eating like garbage still, right? I'm gaining a ton of weight. I'm in college. Um, and I'm somewhere around five years later, I move out to Washington state, um, the Seattle area. And since then, like th throughout the year, I was in what they would call like remission, um, of some sort, but I still had like IBS symptoms, but I was basically just chalking it up to, Oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll be okay. And this probably is just sort of the residual effects. I didn't really know all of the super, super details of what UC could do because I was kind of in the, um, remission phase after UC had taken the diagnosis on me. And so I move out to Washington state and actually after the move there, um, being, being there about a year or so, things started to get a lot worse. Um, and I don't know if it was, it could be a lot of things, but basically I had a giant number of flare ups, um, that started coming back. You know, I was trying to start my career, um, out there in technology and, uh, I um, had do, I had done a little technology in the in the town in college, and I moved out um, to the west coast of my wife, where she's from, and um, I had started to get really worse, like a lot worse. And so then um, I was, you know, having to take time off of work, and you know, all of this sort of uh, standard stuff that would happen to someone with ulcerative colitis. So you could fast forward a few years of me battling this thing, and I really get pretty sick at one point. And, um, I see, I see a doctor and, you know, uh, I say, you know, I think I have the flu, you know, and they're like, Hmm, okay, well, let's take some blood labs. Cause it seems like you also have ulcerative colitis. So let's see. So I do, I do blood work and I'm at home nursing the flu. And this is sort of the first in a series of events to try and get me better. Uh, and they say, I'm extremely anemic. I'm dying basically at home because I don't have any blood. Uh, and so I needed, um, I think it was six units of blood, four to six units wow. of blood, um, transfer transfused. Um, and cause the, the doctor called me and said, Hey, uh, you have no blood. So you need to go to the hospital now. Like I was like, do I have to go now? And they're like, yeah, now wow. I drove to the hospital and they rushed me in there and they nursed me back to health, uh, after getting the transfusion. So that doesn't fix my problem though. Still bleeding. 
still have ulcerative colitis, which if people don't know what ulcerative colitis is, I can give a little background. It's basically an autoimmune disease that attacks your colon. In my case, some people um, get Crohn's, can affect the entire colon, a portion of the colon, the entire intestines. They're similar. They're very, they're related to rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, Crohn's. There's a ton of autoimmune disease that are somewhat similar and some people get all of them. Some people have Crohn's, you know, ulcerative colitis, uh, you know, and they have um, arthritis. A lot of people get a lot of that all in sort of a salad of autoimmune. So um, after that, uh, we started going down a series of treatment paths. Um, and the treatment path basically consisted of steroids, which is prednisone. Um, and it was like, you know, and, a, and a, basically a, a, a delayed release tablet that, that basically tries to treat the ulcers in your colon. Uh, and it's called um, mesalamine or sulfalazine and things like that. So basically, and there's, there's enemas, there's all sorts of things that you do that, that you would put into your mouth, be oral medicine or enemas that would like coat the lining of your, um, or at least help reduce the inflammation of your colon and the ulcers that are there. Well, nothing really worked except for prednisone. Prednisone did work. It stopped my symptoms for the most part. I would stop having major problems. And so me being what I knew about the diet, whenever I had any sort of a terrible flare, they basically told me, okay, you need to be on a BRAT diet. And BRAT is, is an acronym for bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast. Like it has to be extremely low residue and you really have to stay away from everything else. And I was like, okay. So I tried that sort of thing really doesn't work. And I, it didn't really matter what I ate um, in the terms of standard American diet stuff. Everything just sort of happened. It, it doesn't like if I had bananas, rice, applesauce on toast for two weeks, which I'd done, I mean, it's still, the symptoms never got better. So then we started um, going down the prednisone route and I was on prednisone and I tapered off. I was on 60, 40 milligrams and 60 milligrams pretty regularly, which is kind of a lot of prednisone. If people don't know it, a lot of people will get prednisone because they have a terrible rash and it will go away. Um, and then they'll be, they'll be done in three, five days or something. I'm talking months in my case, like we're talking like a six week taper, you know, a four week taper where you go off every, you know, 10 milligrams, five milligrams, and you keep on going down. If you can't handle it, you go back up, go longer and then taper slower. So, I mean, I was on 60 milligrams of prednisone, 40 milligrams of prednisone for at least a year and a half, maybe longer, um, on and off, on and off, on and off. Um, there was another prednisone type drug called Eucerus that, that supposedly addressed the colon specifically, but it didn't work as well. So after tapering that, um, one time I was home. And so I, I was actually in Philadelphia um, working back and forth. So I would like stay in Philadelphia and then I would fly home to visit. So I flew home to visit one of the early days of being in Philadelphia. And I had a child at the time who was um, six months or I think six months old, maybe a year. Um, and I woke up in the middle of the night to change him. And I, I, you know, I'm changing him, my wife's sleeping. And then I pass out on the floor and start having a seizure. And my wife, um, I guess, I don't remember this, right? Because this is like a black spot in my memory. You know, this is, <laughs> this is like one of the only things I can't remember about my life, really. Um, so I had a full grand mal seizure, um, after being home and, you know, who knows, travel infection could be a number of things. So, um, luckily at that point, it just so happened that her mother was staying with us. So perfect timing. She stays with my son and my wife rushes to the hospital with me and the ambulance. 
And so I'm in the hospital and uh, I have um, probes all over me and I wake up in this daze. I didn't know what was going on. I assumed I was dreaming. I guess three EMTs had to hold me down. Um, I was bigger. I was way bigger than I am now and stronger, strong. And they had to give me a bunch of Valium. So uh, I was kind of talking all wackily and my wife was asking the nurse, like, what is going on? They're like, well, you know, it's very possible he could have brain damage. <laughs> and so my wife was freaked out. And I don't think it was very cool of the nurse to say that. No. But she did. So a couple of spinal taps later and a few days in the hospital, they basically diagnosed me with aseptic meningitis. Um, and, I, uh, and, and so it seemed to be resolved. It was sort of a flare of some sort of infection. Um, and it was gone. They, the spinal taps are clear, all of the um, EEGs, you know, and the, uh, the electronic measurements of my brain activity were fine. So after that, we started going down the, the path of um, prednisone still, I was kind of nursing it for a year, maybe a little longer. And we started going down the path of biologic meds after that, because nothing was working. And I was a mess still. Um, and so biologic meds are much more expensive and much more serious. Um, so I did a couple of them, um, started out with, well, I started out with something called six MP and I forgot the other name, which is kind of a medication they use for leukemia, I believe in cancer, um, treatment, uh, didn't do anything. It made me extremely nauseous and it was terrible. So then we went down Humira, Remicade, Stellara, which are an Intivio, which are biologics that typically treat a myriad of autoimmune disease. And biologics means like you basically have, um, uh, a way of stopping the cells from attacking you. And they, they do some, some basically immune, I don't know all of the science, but they basically uh, try and rework your immune system. So it stops attacking you. Some people have great success and people don't. And this, these, so Humira was like a pen that you shot in your leg every six weeks or two weeks or something like that. Um, all of the other ones and Stellara, I think was not, Stellar, I think, was another medication. But the other ones were IV drip infusions. So you had to go every four to six weeks to an infusion center and sit in a chair for a couple of hours um, and just sit there, you know, with your arm out, watching TV or whatever you did. As a young man sitting in there, like basically getting a small drip of chemo is essentially what Remicade is in some, you know, in a small, small dose. Um, so I'm, you know, 20 seven at the time when I'm doing 28 and I start and then I end up, um, none of it works. Uh, and so I have a real heart to heart with my, with my GI and I knew the end result was you're probably going to have to lose your colon. So for the longest time, I sort of said, I don't want to go down that route. You know, this sounds seems terrible. I talked to some people that had done it and, um, I talked to some doctors that even had done it and they, you know, he was like, Hey, you know, let's do the surgery because you're going to die. You know, basically like this is terrible. You're going to keep having flares and you're, you know, and if you're not going to die, you have a terrible quality of life. This will be better. And so I say, okay. And I go to the University of Washington, which is a pretty incredible medical hospital and college. Um, and there's a doctor named Dr. Ficara, who's an Italian guy who's great. Um, and I actually really like that I did this in some ways. In other ways, it's difficult. But he was basically like, hey, lose some weight. And I'd already started down like the keto path at this point, but keto with ulcerative colitis is like terrible <laughs> because mm -hmm. you're doing macros in keto and you're also incorporating a number of greens um, and a number of inflammatory foods. So mm -hmm. I did lose weight though, but my symptoms were terrible. Um, 
so i mean it, it worked in terms of ketosis but in terms of healing my gut it was still horrible so i lost weight and he did the surgery and said great you know and so i've lost my colon all of it um the first surgery did not remove the rectum. The first surgery kept the rectum because there's a possibility to reconnect your small intestine to your rectum and basically create a fake colon called a J pouch. And so I entertained that for a little while, but that was also infected. So the rectum was still affected um, from the get go. There was no way to, there was, it was, it was bad. Like I was, so at that point to get real graphic. So I had the ileostomy um, and I also have a rectum still. So you still go to the bathroom like once in a while, like normally you'd pass a stool and it's because there's mucus there and there's blood. So I was still bleeding in inflamed while I have my ileostomy all at the same time. So I get my, um, my rectum removed later. Um, and by this point though, I had found out about the carnivore diet. So I, I heard Dr. Sean Baker on, on the Rogan show and um, he started talking about the carnivore diet and you know, I was listening cause I just thought it was an interesting, you know, person and, and I, you know, he's a strong man and, you know, an interesting athlete. So, and then he started mentioning ileostomy patients and I was like, Whoa, this guy might know something about the gut or at least has read literature and nobody, I mean, I never hear ileostomy discussed on a, <laughs> podcast of that nature i mean it's crazy to hear someone talk about it um and so because we're pretty i mean yes there are common ostomies but we're pretty rare i mean it's not exactly people you walk in you know especially young people with them um so an ileostomy is uh, is essentially a, a bag that is attached to my um stomach uh that um is used by adhesive and they basically disconnect your colon take it out and they poke your ileum through and they create what they call a stoma, which kind of looks like a knot or balloon knot, you know? Um, and that is an, is essentially your internal intestines, you know, hanging out on the edge of your stomach and you have a bag there and it empties. So after hearing that, I was like, Hmm, let's try this. Um, so that was like, uh, December, 2017 and January, I decided, well, let's try the carnivore thing because like, I've been eating meat, you know, it's not like I hadn't been eating meat. So I knew that like, it wasn't gonna be a, a gut problem. And prior to that, I had a lot of blockages and pain and blockages and pain in this, in this intestine is absolutely brutal. Um, it's like the worst, it's worse pain than ulcerative colitis. It's, it's like someone is stabbing you in the stomach constantly because as you're, you have this, I think it's called peristalsis that happens and your, your brain tells your, your stomach how to move. Well, basically every time it's flexing, it's blocked. So it's like uh, cement stuck there and while it's trying to push and there's pressure. It's really bad. I mean, it's, I was crying for hours while I was in the hospital trying to get you know, treated a few times. And so um, I try it out and I'm starting to lose weight and I'm feeling great. Um, and then I'm also noticing that meat is basically clear when it passes through my ileostomy. And so because I have an ileostomy, I can see everything that would normally dump into my colon, right? Go from ileum to colon. So the, the myth of like meat rots in your colon, I, I started, I was like, this is crazy. There's no way. I mean, I always had my sort of reservations about that because if somebody eats a lot of meat, do you know how much undigested food that would be? So I started noticing and I was like, hmm, when I eat meat, especially rare 
to raw ribeye or any other sort of red meat, it's clear. Like the output is just bile, chyme, which is the, 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 basically the sludge that's created when you digest food. It's called chyme, C-H-Y-M-E, and then water. Now, I mean, when you eat a lot of food, okay, like if you eat three pounds of ribeye, you're going to have your bag fill up a lot, okay? It's going to fill up three, four, five times because it's digesting all that food. So you just bile and it's water. So the output is just like yellow clear liquid of sorts and maybe some bile, maybe a little brown tint. There's no solids in there at all. There's no, if you just ate raw meat, there would be nothing there unless you, unless you um, char it. There's a charred portion of the food that doesn't seem to digest as well in my experience that will come out in the bag. And it's not as, I mean, I'm not saying it's like solid pieces of char, but there, there's bits there that don't mm-hmm. come through when you're eating rare or raw meat. But on the other end of the spectrum, when you eat um, ground beef that's fully cooked, my experience, and this is just me, I, it makes me full much faster and it's harder to pass. It's harder to, it, it, it kind of, it fills up my intestines a little more and there's more bits in the output, right? There's not as much digestion happening in the small intestine and stomach. You're not getting the digestion from the ground beef like you would be from rare or raw meat. Most people don't eat raw meat, ground raw meat. I sure, sure you could. Uh, most people are eating done or almost done burgers and ground beef. So I was doing that too, but it doesn't hurt me, but I just can't eat as much of it and don't feel as great when I eat it. And so basically um, I lost about 135 pounds in a year ish or 18 months, 15 months or something like that. And I started out at about 385, 390 pounds. Um, And that's big for somebody with ulcerative colitis. Some people have ulcerative colitis and they're really emaciated because they never eat. They're basically fasting. Um, I was able to eat and had symptoms. I was you know, a strong-willed person that was able to eat and deal with the pain. Um, and so now I live with an ileostomy. I had the surgery done after I'd been on carnivore for over a year. The, the, second sur- the second surgery was done after I'd been on carnivore for over a year. And that second surgery was to remove the rectum because it was still diseased. Okay. So when that doctor did that surgery... Um, his name was Dr. Petty. He removed it and he, he went in my, um, you know, my uh, gut and, uh, you know, had to basically, he had to fix, he had to kind of fix the existing ileostomy because it was sort of moved a little bit, um, because I had done a lot of heavy lifting and sort of developed a little bit of a hernia because when you have this problem, you can't lift stupid heavy all the time because you will, your abs aren't strong there. It's not recommended if you're not wearing some support to do a ton of heavy lifting, because you basically have a hole in your abdomen. So you you, it is a hernia. So it is a hernia. It's a controlled hernia. So I had a little bit of hernia. So you had to go in there and fix that in addition to remove the rest of the rectum and, and proc um, because of proctitis. Uh, so he went in there and I remember waking up and, and, you know, and he came back the next day and was like, Hey man, went great. You're going to feel awesome. And um, you look great in there. He's like, you don't have a lot of visual fat in there. He's like, there's, you look great. I mean, I was still big. I was still losing weight, but he was like, you're looking good as far as that's concerned and you feel good and you're losing weight. So after all that was done, um, I continued on the carnivore diet, but then I started. um, So all that to say, 
the carnivore diet has been amazing for somebody with an ileostomy in my experience. Um, it addresses blockage issues, instant nutrition, digestion immediately. You can, you can predict what your output's going to be because you're going to, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to eat one meal a day because a lot of people do that because you're eating a bunch of meat. So I'm going to eat one meal a day. And I know after this meal, I'm going to have to dump this bag four or five times if I eat a big meal. But then that's it the rest of the day. You very much control. You have control now over your output. You have control over your bathroom visits. Um, so that's been pretty awesome. But what the carnivore diet, in my experience, didn't do for me without the right amount of guidance was address emotional eating or, or relapses. And so I ended up, I have ended up gaining about 100 pounds back um, in a year. Um, because the only thing I could eat is refined sugar. Okay. Cause I can't eat vegetables very easily at all. So that's, I'm not relapsing into that. I'm staying on carnivore because I really love the nutrition and the meat, but I also binge ate my emotions into donuts or refined sugar. And it, it let me gain some money, some, some, some weight back, but I never, even through all that time of eating poorly, which is refined sugar, um, donuts, candy, stuff like that. There was never a blockage because I, I knew that I could, I could digest refined sugar. So I'm eating nutrition from beef and eating refined sugar and gaining weight. So because once you're, you're eating so much food and your glucose levels are high, you're going to retain a lot of a lot of weight. Um, so in recent months, I've, I've taken off um, almost 40 pounds in a few months um, because I've incorporated uh, fasting. So I'm doing like kind of the snake diet approach where it's a three-day to five-day fast. So it's three days, eat carnivore, five days, eat carnivore. It's working amazing. And I have even more control over my emotions because I know – um, that I can do it. It's a, like really confidence building. And then also I'm feeling better than ever. And I'm, I mean, I, just last year I squatted 600 pounds. I've recently stopped um, doing that kind of heavy lifting for the time being because I, my back was starting to hurt, you know, still being a big dude and, and doing that kind of heavy lifting is hard on you. Um, so I, I've basically been in lighter weight category, cardio a little bit, and now I'm incorporating a lot of fasting and and so basically all of the things that my doctors had told me throughout this whole experience um, was wrong when it comes to diet. Um, they never told me to do extended fasting. They never said, hey, pump up the sodium and the potassium and fast because you could probably heal your cells that way. They didn't do that. They didn't tell me, hey, you can handle protein and meat. That's it because you're not going to have residue. They didn't tell me that either. Um, and so in my experience, and I've helped a couple of people that have had UC, they basically resolve their symptoms or very close to it with the carnivore diet. And what happens, I believe to a lot of them is that they have an issue with backslide. So they'll, they'll, they'll eat something that is very triggering to them, trying it out and it, it will, it will flare them, you know, into colitis uh, or, or Crohn's flares, um, from what I, from the experience I've had with them. So it's, 
in my opinion, if I would to, were to go back, I'd probably say no to the surgery and do the carnivore diet um, strictly uh, um, so that I was eliminating all of the inflammatory food. Um, and I have basically um, eliminated any chance of blockages or, uh, you know, the doctor doesn't really care when I tell them about this, at least the GI, they kind of shrug it. They don't endorse it. That's for sure. But they're kind of like, well, your blood work looks good and you're not having any problems. And I just had a scope of my small intestine at uh, the beginning of the year and everything looks great. So I've been eating a ton of meat. There's no, there's no meat undigested in my small intestine. And anyone that claims um, colon cancer, well, like, okay, in my case, I, I have a scapegoat out of that because I don't have a colon. So, I mean, that, you know, and in my opinion, the colon cancer myth is easily debunked with this because there's no, there is, there's no meat for the colon to use in the event that the meat is raw or rare. There's very little residue. Um, and even in processed meats, I've down, gone down that road of salami, bacon, you know, stuff like that. That's, there's no, there's no bits there. There's no like, there's no stuff to see when you're eating carnivore. When you eat dairy, there is a significant amount. Dairy is a totally, dairy is, yeah. So dairy, so if you're eating dairy, I'm sorry, I've been going on and on and on, but I was trying to No, get, it's great. Go for it. <laughs> When I eat dairy, and so the one thing I'll say is like, yeah, I'm one person. And so like, could someone else's digestion process be different? I suppose. Um, but I'm normal every other way. I have every other normal situation. Okay. Like I, 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 I don't have any sort of other health problems. Right. Um, I wear glasses, you know, and I have, I'm trying to work on obesity, but like, that's not indicating a digestion issue, right. That I'm a, that I'm a snowflake. So um, so dairy, um, when I mean dairy, I don't mean like heavy cream. It doesn't seem as bad, but if you have cheeses like cheddar, um, things like that, soft cheeses, especially it seems it's just a sludgy mess. Like it's, huh. it's like, imagine you had melted the cheese and, you know, made Velveeta or something. That's kind of what the output looks like when you eat a lot of it. Um, wow. small amount, it's not as bad in my case, but it's still there. It's very much there. So, so I can understand why people would have an issue with dairy because it looks to me like there would be a number, a bit of waste, undigested food, and that would probably go to your colon. And that would make sense as to why that binds people up dairy, because it's basically yeah. creating a heavy sludge of mud that's going into your colon. So I would imagine that probably is harder to pass for a while. Now, I'm not talking about the lactose problem that people have with it, but I'm talking about mm -hmm. the digestion problem. Um, so, I mean, dairy is not ideal. I, I eat dairy sometimes. It doesn't bother me. I have no problem other than the output being slower. And actually, because I have an ileostomy, I'm at a higher risk of dehydration because you don't have a colon to absorb water from your food, right? Your, your bile or your, the liquid that might come from the, the steak, that's not getting absorbed because there's no colon. So I have to definitely watch my hydration. So I have a, I, a lot of salt, a lot of potassium, and I, I do eat cheese because it slows me down a little. And in that case, it slows down enough so that the, the, the small intestine can try and absorb more water. 
Um, it's sort of a theory at this point. I haven't really confirmed that, um, but it, it does slow the, the output down. So it's not so fast to just eat, digest the meat, move it on, you know, and it would, it's basically water output. So the, the cheese tends to slow that down so that maybe you can absorb some of that water in your small intestine. But um, it seems to me that uh, dairy is probably not ideal for people that have a problem with digestion. And I think if you were in, in ulcerative colitis flares, I would, I would probably recommend avoiding it because of the residue it leaves. Um, That's fascinating. What about vegetables? Have you tried that since you've had the ileostomy? Any kind of a fiber food? I, I, I'm, I'm dying to know about that. Well, vegetables are what put me into blockages. So when I eat vegetables, I would have to blend them all. And still I would have nothing but, I did that when I first started that I was, I was doing the keto thing with an ileostomy as well. Um, no, it's just blockades. It's just, so you'd have to eat a, so basically what you'd have to do is you'd have to, to do a vegetarian some kind of way. You'd have to chew it like you were a cow. Okay. So you'd have to chew like, so it became mush. And next, one of the, the advices, like that's one of the biggest advice that people give you when you have an ileostomy. They'll say, please chew your food a lot. Chew it 300 times, whatever. Um, because you can't digest, it doesn't digest. Okay. It, it doesn't digest and it comes out chewed like you chewed it. It doesn't absorb. So you'll get just all, especially like any seed or any roughage, which would be like broccoli, large leafy vegetables. It's basically whole when it comes out or whatever you chewed. If you spit that into a cup, that's what you would see. Um, and so that's going into a colon and I'm sure it's creating a microbiome that, I mean, cause it's sitting in there. It's basically creating in, in interacting with bacteria and it's a, basically a compost bin in your colon. I'm assuming something happens like that. And then people have these giant form stools because they have a bunch of waste in there. Um, and so, Vegetables are, they, I wouldn't say that they make me feel bad because I don't have other problems. Because there are some people that have, you know, all sorts of interactions with vegetables that I don't have. The problem I have is digestion. Like vegetables don't digest because I don't have a colon. So, I mean, it, even, if we were to, even if we were to go down the road of saying, well, vegetables can be healthy. Well, not in my case because there's no, there's no way to use them. And so the only thing that's been suggested to me by the anti-carnivore people when I give them this discussion is they're like, well, you should probably look into pea powder. It's like, hang on, man. I'm not going to go down the processed food route for veganism or vegetarianism. You know, so that it doesn't make any sense to me when it comes to eating vegetables for ultimate nutritional density and digestion health. It, I mean, if, if you have to eat vegetables because of the standard American diet, then okay, you probably have to maintain a biome that would digest that stuff. But if you don't have to, then the biome probably doesn't matter because I mean, there's no, there's nothing there. So I mean, yeah, maybe we are omnivores in in some way, and we can, we can eat that stuff, and that the biome's required. But when that biome's imbalanced, you have much more problems. So that so the, the risk of having an imbalanced microbiome because you're eating other things that are terrible. I would imagine, and this is, I don't, I'm not a scientist, but because I've seen what happens, I'm assuming that if you introduce something that goes poorly 
you would probably interact with and affect the microbiome. Well, in the case of carnivore, you don't have to deal with that because there isn't a microbiome to worry about. So I, I'm, I'm on the fence on microbiome at all. And I think that a lot of it has to do with just healthy digestion for people that are omnivores. If you're not an omnivore, it's a, it's a non-issue. Yeah, because um, very fascinating. The fact that you don't have a colon, you don't have that area that is, oh, so important and you must give it fiber and blah, blah, blah. Well, how come you're still functioning? How come you're okay? How come you're healthy? Because don't we need that? We need that fiber to feed that biome and we need that biome to be healthy. Yeah. And there are lots of people that live fully functional lives with ostomies and they're not even carnivore. So they just deal with blockages and they, you know, uh. They can't, they just deal with it right there. What is a blockage? I mean, like, what do you have to do when you have a blockage? Yeah. So if you experience a blockage with an ileostomy or even a colostomy, um, you have to try and get it to pass. So it's ba- just imagine you shoved a bunch of stuff that's too big that can't fit down a pipe, right? Just you clogged a pipe in your plumbing. Well, how do you get it out? You got to put something down there that dissolves it, weight it out, and it starts to break down. Or you irrigate it. And so in the case of a blockage, depending on how bad it is, and it, it also depends on whether or not somebody has another issue. Maybe they have Crohn's and their their bowels constricted. Maybe they have um a problem with digestion, their 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 peristalsis doesn't work, or whatever the case they have ileus, which is like a slow moving bowel. That could affect their, you know, that could affect blockage. But typically the steps are if you have a blockage, you sit in a hot tub, like a like a, a warm bath try and get things to warm up in that section of the, of the uh, ileum. And I mean, I think it's a comfort thing. I don't know if it actually works. Some people would say suggesting drink carbonated beverages. Some people suggest drinking hot beverages. Some people suggest not eating. Um, and if the worst case happens, you end up going to the hospital. And if you're like vomiting or it's because the blockage can cause a number of problems up the GI once the bottom is blocked, wherever they'll might put a, might put a feeding tube in um, while an NG tube to get you um, nutrition and also pump the stomach possibly depending. And then they'll irrigate or scope out, which they basically shove something in through the stoma and pull out what's in there. Um, they'll try and like scope it or see, you know, they're like, okay, we, there's definitely something here. They do a CT scan to see if there's any major blockage of your, you know, they're doing radio, you know, radiation uh, not radiation i'm sorry um radiologist takes a picture um and that's what happens so if you have a blockage it's a pretty serious problem um for most people i mean in some cases people block regularly and they it's not really a blockage it's just really slow moving and they whenever you have a slow moving bowel it if it, it's it's more than just some discomfort it affects your whole body you feel like you're run down when you have a blockage. I mean, it's the worst thing I could ever imagine having a blockage. I mean, it's absolutely brutal. Um, and people with an ileostomy are bought into this hook, line, and sinker of meat being bad still. And so every time through use ulcerative colitis, their entire, when I had that and when I have an ileostomy, it's like, hey, avoid greasy food, right? That's always the, like, it's oh, grease and spice. Spice and grease is the problem. Like it's always that. It's like, oh, I ate some spicy and greasy food. Then everyone under the sun will give you their trigger food. It's like, oh, you know what triggers it for me? Mac and cheese. It's like, okay. And then someone else says, you know what triggers it for me? Uh, you know, I eat um, soda. But I mean, I haven't heard a lot of people say, you know what triggers it for me? When I eat broccoli, 
which it does, but they're sold this bill of goods or this snake oil vegetarian idea to resolve their ulcerative colitis. And so I know there are some people that have resolved their ulcerative colitis with some vegetable-based, plant-based diet. But I mean, it's possible. There's so many factors there. It's possible that they were going to resolve it by removing other inflammatory foods. Because we've seen success in vegetarian or vegan diets because the processed food's gone. So they've regulated their glucose. There's not sugar feeding on in, inside of your colon. I mean, there's lots of stuff that could happen there. But um, I wouldn't roll the dice on raw vegan knowing what I know now about the colon and, its, and, its, uh, and what happens in your digestion. I mean, it's stuck. In, I mean, I would imagine diverticulitis has got to do with seeds and nuts. I mean, it'd be really weird to me if it, it had to do with, with meat. Um, but the other thing is like, we don't know a lot about the colon, nor do we know a lot about irritable bowel diseases. It's very, it's all over the place. Like the medication is broad. Um, there's the only thing that I've seen like super success with, it's the weirdest thing. It's called FMT or fecal medical transplant or medicinal, something fecal transplant. And people try and correct their microbiome by basically eating pills of feces or injecting feces in an enema from a healthy individual. I mean, it's gross. It definitely Mm -hmm. doesn't make any natural sense. Um, I know someone who's had that done. Yeah. Yeah. But I can understand it. Even people that don't have UC might do that for other digestion purposes. But I mean, these are extreme weird measures in my experience can be, can be rectified with a very strict carnivore diet. And I mean, strict, like you can't be goofing around with lots of dairy or the occasional veggie. Um, and you can't eat overcooked food, overcooked meat. Um, and I think fasting is probably the best thing for me. Um, extended fat. I, you know, I have more body fat than other people, but I mean, one meal a day, as long as you can address the backsliding issue you might have with emotional eating, if you can address whatever the carb drugs are that you're addicted to, and I would definitely advise people to do that. Like, yes, get healthy. Yes, do carnivore if you have an IBD or an IBS, but also make sure you're not setting yourself up for a terrible failure by overeating on carnivore because you still have a problem with food and then sliding back into some sort of drug that you're addicted to, like sugar. Um, Because I've seen that happen to myself. Um, And I don't feel as good. I mean, I don't block up, but I don't feel as good. It's, It's kind of painful. I get gassy. One thing that also I'll say that's interesting. So there's an entire system of what they call uh, burping your bag, which is my ostomy, when it fills up with gas. So gas, like you would fart, okay? (laughs) fills the bag and it inflates like a balloon. And you have to open the end of it and let the air out. That never, ever happens when I only eat carnivore. Never. Wow. The common discussion among ileostomy patients is like, oh, you got to burp your bag. And we will buy these special bags that have two pieces so you can easily burp them. They're like, oh, I have to have this two piece so it like I can like quickly pop the end off and burps it. Well, it's because they're eating things that cause flatulence. It, it, there's no flatulence in carnivore. Now, I don't know if everyone's experienced that in, with a colon uh, that their flatulence is gone. 
but to but to me it's gone and i'm pretty sure most people would say it's gone in carnivore if you're very that's very common in carnivore yeah that's uh, a, it's a joke it's it's actually a joke <laughs> well it's, it's provable that in my in my opinion i can see what happens if you eat bad stuff it's not because because like farts are somewhat unpredictable and people just like have to deal with them well i know that if i eat this sort of food it's going to make my bag fill up which is vegetables and sugars um, grains, gluten, stuff like that. I mean, it, I haven't nailed down what specifically makes my bag fill up because I haven't gone back down the road of let me try this stuff. I know that refined sugar doesn't seem to um, from what I can see. And I know that like candy doesn't. And, but I know that candy will, <laughs> will make you gain weight. But it doesn't make you have farts. I think farts come from vegetables i think they come from things that cause people like whatever brussels sprouts beans stuff like stuff i don't eat um stuff i used to eat you know so you know i don't know that farting is a good thing (laughs) Um, right i mean everybody talks about oh farting is so normal is it really i mean yeah normal if you eat that kind of food i suppose but or maybe and i mean no other animals fart so i'm sure that it's you know (laughs) if you're able to eat that stuff but it, for now, like carnivore seems to work nutritionally and you ha- don't have the side effects. So, I, I mean, I would rather eat this way and not, not worry about that. And it's normal for people that aren't eating carnivore-based diet, you know. So that's kind of the nutshell of my life experience with this and how carnivore seems to have saved me um, from further problems. So now it's somewhat of my life's goal to educate people about what um, what the, what the carnivore diet can truly do if you have an ileostomy and if you have ulcerative colitis, but also to educate people on what it looks like when you eat meat, it's not what you think. Um, but, uh, I get a lot of resistance still in, in the ulcerative colitis and in ileostomy. Well, sure. People are, people think I'm like killing people. They think I'm nuts. Mm-hmm. They think I'm yeah. lying. They think I'm insane. Um, I'll tell you, man, if, if there were a diet that worked for me that wouldn't give me a blockage, I would do it. And it is this one so far. I mean, I haven't found another one. Someone gives me a, um, oh, you have to eat lamb because you'll feel even better exclusively. Well, then I might do that. Or that if someone finds some tree that I could eat and have all the nutrition <laughs> and I could, you know, I would do that. But right now, this is not causing me pain or problems and it's fixed all the issues related to ileostomy. Question for you. Do you feel like back when you were 18 years old, when you first started having this and you did the carnivore diet, do you think you would have had the same end result as you have now? What is your feelings on that? Um, I think intellectually, yes. And I think I would, I would have done it in better results, but I think I know myself and I would have been a stubborn individual and probably not been strict. Um, I think, I think I probably would have sort of found relief and then act like an idiot again. Cause I mean, wisdom is hard when you're young, you know, it's, it's difficult. Agree. To so, uh, but I mean, if I had the willpower and the discipline to not be an idiot at 18 years old and found this diet, I'm, I'm 95%, 99% sure that it would have definitely let me keep my colon. Would it have resolved every issue? I don't know. I mean, maybe ulcers would have still been present, you know, maybe the initial flare was terrible enough, but 
from the experience I have, the people I know that have done this, that have ulcerative colitis, and my own experience, I think at 18, I probably could have resolved this, yeah. you know, without, without losing a colon. And now there's a few things that suck having a, an ostomy bag. It's not all rainbows, but I'm very functional and able to do anything. So that's I mean, what I want to know. That's yeah. How, how do you function? What are some limiting things? Like you mentioned, you know, overdoing uh, heavy weights. What are other things that you can't really do that somebody else can because of your yeah. situation? So an ostomy, there are different, there are a few different ostomies. There's ileostomy, colostomy, and urostomy. Urostomies are typically temporary. Um, that's for uh, the bladder. Um, if someone has some sort of cancer or whatever, some of them are permanent. Uh, but anyway, so since you have something put through your, through your abdomen, you have a, you have a compromised area for, for heavy lifting. Um, I mean, vanity wise, it's weird. So like you have a, an appliance stuck to you if you were to go to the beach or wear a tight fitting clothing. So you, I wear wraps that tend to like cover it up. If anyone knows anything about concealed weapons carrying, you can hide things really easily under clothes. So you don't see it. I mean, it's easily hidden. Uh, if you go to TSA, they will pat you down every time. Even because you're going to go through the naked body scanner, even when you tell them what you have, you're going to be patted down. I assume people with insulin pumps have the same problem. Um, so there's that, that sort of issue, the social issue. Uh, it is um, an adhesive that attaches to your skin. So if you have a problem with allergies, which I haven't had an issue, um, the skin can irritate a lot. So the skin issue can be more of an issue than the digestive issue for some people. Also eating the carnivore diet is more of a liquid output. So you have to make sure that when your appliance is attached, you a don't let it get too full because you, you will leak. So it, the, the sealed around where the stoma is, is just um, like a bandaid, you know, or anything else. It's watertight sort of, but if it leaks, you're, especially with an ileostomy, your output is really caustic, meaning it can burn you because it's that, that stomach acid. Mm. So when it touches your skin, if it leaks, it will create uh, skin problems. So this is one thing that dairy does for people that in, with an ileostomy will make it thicker and so it won't leak. But it, you have to be sure that the dairy is not hurting your goals or your, you otherwise. Um, fasting is great because there's no out, very little output. So there's nothing leaking with that. But I will say whenever I eat a lot of food, um, I'm going to have to change my bag because I probably leak. But when I, when I fast like this, I can, the bag, I have to change it every seven days. Some people have to change it every day. Oh. So I have to change it every two days. Some people have three days. I can stretch them for a long time. But wow. when I eat regularly, if I eat too much food, like too much meaning a lot of meat, it will fill up quickly and there could be a leak because it's really, really watery. It's so watery that you um, have to worry about the leakage. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the problems. You, you really can't or shouldn't do contact sports, um, which kind of sucks. Like I'd love to be able to do jujitsu, but I mean, I could do it, but it would be sort of a moral conundrum because if I ever leaked because of the issue, I'd mm -hmm. leak all over everyone. And I feel like that would be really irresponsible. I've, I've kind of looked into it a little bit and people have said there's been two sides of the fence. And I actually, there's a video of a guy out there that, that does jujitsu with his ostomy. Um, I think it's sort of a case by case. I'd like to think that people are pretty understanding, but you know, nobody wants fecal matter uh, around the mat, you know? So uh, that's a limitating factor. Um, 
But otherwise, that's probably it. I mean, I pretty much do everything else. I play guitar, which rests against that area. Um, that doesn't cause a problem. Uh, I have, I've had, um, since I've had my ostomy, I've had three children. Um, and I attribute the strength and, and virility to carnivore. I mean, I, I, I think my wife could probably tell you that I'm a, I'm a much better person um, having the ostomy and eating carnivore. When I don't eat, my insulin's all over and when I eat, you know, junk, I'm bad. I'm a mess. Um, my glucose goes off the charts. I start being an angry person, you know? Um, and then when I was on steroids and dealing with this before the ostomy, I was way worse. I was a terrible mess. So my wife's a saint. Um, some women would not be so understanding. Um, you know, but by the grace of God, we have stayed together and been, uh, an awesome team for, raising children and then also understanding that um everyone has problems so yeah i was gonna ask you about that like how did your wife handle this whole situation this is a major thing or i would think that this would be really big i mean yeah i think that um so i mean before i i mean the, the problems i had with ulcerative colitis were so terrible that i think she was ready like i was to get some solution we didn't end the road kind of you know it was like well, you're going to die or you're going to have colitis and run to the bathroom. I mean, I was, every time I went to a grocery store, I was looking for the bathroom. Every time I went to any location, I was like, where's your bathroom? I'd like to know where the bathroom is because I'm going to have to use it. I go to the bathroom two times before I left. I'd have to like, when I had ulcerative colitis, I would like have a bag, grocery bag in my car with me on a commuting to work so that I could poop on the side of the road. Like ulcerative colitis is absolutely brutal. I mean, you'd go into a parking garage just so you can get some privacy to go to the bathroom because you can't make it to a public restroom. You won't make it. You will be, it's like you have constant diarrhea all the time. And I mean like, uh, you're like no control at all, all the time with ulcerative colitis. And so it was like, I, I guess this is better. At least I won't have to go to the bathroom. Because honestly, I'd probably gone to the bathroom more than 10 lifetimes, you know? At, at 25, 27, 30 years old, I, I went 10, 20 times a day. And then when you're, when you go to the bathroom that much, you're depleted, you have, you're bleeding, you have anemia, you're just in bed, you know? So like, think my wife was sort of like, you know, we really think this will probably improve, you know? And afterwards I was fairly emotional about it. I mean, it was a hard thing. And it does things to you. The anesthesia itself can make you emotional, but also just like the life change. I mean, it's crazy. So, you know, even as a big, strong man that I was, I was pretty emotional about having my colon gone. So I think we both were scared, but my wife was just like I was. We were like, we got to get some relief. And now that I have it, I don't think that either one of us would change it unless we could, of course, go back and change all of it. But, you know. Now that I have it, we're very happy about that. You know, so good. life with an ostomy is not the end for a lot of people. They feel like that. It's yeah, it's not. It's I can't speak to the urostomy or the colostomy. I can speak to the ileostomy, which the colostomy. When someone has that, it's typically because they're going to resection their bowel because they might have had colon cancer and they're going to keep some of the colon, or you know, they only had a small affected portion of the colon, so they're going to keep the rest. Um, their output is different than mine because they have some time, but I mean, if they were eating carnivore, it would be the same, you know, and they, they probably would have less liquid output because your colon would still be there to do some absorption of that liquid. 
In my case, it's just liquid from eating meat and then there's nothing to absorb it. So, you know, and I, I take potassium and, and um, sodium a lot more when I'm fasting. It's probably a good idea to take it in general. And vitamin D is pretty, pretty important. But my levels of vitamin D, I never take a supplement. I eat, I eat a ton of meat and go outside. And my, I just had my, my blood work done a month ago. Vitamin D is all within normal range. All my blood works with normal range. Good. The exception of testosterone. Testosterone is a little low. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm still, I still have weight to lose, which will lower your testosterone being a higher BMI. And years of prednisone use could possibly lower your testosterone. Um, but it seems to be okay. And I'm not having any of their issues. And I'm, I think I'm also losing a little bit of hair up here. <laughs> I think my testosterone is probably fine. Uh, so, I mean, clinically speaking and how I feel, there's no problems. That's awesome. I love hearing that. I have one other uh, a question. Um, prior to the first real huge issue you had at 18, mm -hmm. when you were younger, did you have any, you know, gut pain or, or anything that you look back on now going, Ooh, I bet you that was leading up to whatever, or just all of a sudden, just bam at 18, this happened. Um, I've thought about it. Uh, there's no one in my history of family that has anything like this, but I did have, so I, <laughs> this is kind of funny. So when I was a kid, I would like be like, Oh, I got to take a dump. <laughs> And I would say that I go to the bathroom and I would be done in like two minutes. And my dad would call me splash and dash. Because oh <laughs> I would go to the bathroom and I would have like a bowel movement faster than anyone else. But I think it was me. It was either me waiting to the last minute and trying to get back to what I was doing. Or I was actually the beginning symptoms of IBD or IBS. Mm -hmm. It's possible. I never had any other problems though. Um, you know, I don't think I had any GI issues with the exception of that. And I don't know if that was just me being a fear of missing out kind of person who just had to get back to what I was doing or waiting to the last minute, or if it was a precursor to IBD, I don't know, but there's no other family history that would create, that would say genetically there's a component. So the only thing that makes sense is that I contracted C. diff in college. My colon never calmed down. I mean, that's been the pervasive theory because they don't, they still don't really know the cause of it. Nobody really knows the cause of these autoimmune diseases. They have ideas, but it's hard to narrow down cause. I mean, we don't really, at this point, I believe I could be wrong speaking out of turn, but I don't think we actually know that cigarettes cause lung cancer uh, definitively, but they, they likely do. But I don't know that we even know a cause of specifically of cancer specifically with causation linked to a specific thing. I, I'm pretty sure I'd have to double check the research recently on that. But at one point, like we didn't really know what caused these things. Um, it was just sort of theories on, on that. So yeah, I don't, I never had any issues as a kid that I can remember, but I am worried about my children because there is a, there's a genetic component to autoimmune. So I have to make sure that I'm not passing this gene on somehow. So so what are you doing with your kids as far as diet goes? Like, are, are you kind of steering them one way to, to kind of avoid all of this or? Uh, I'm trying my best to steer them to eating a lot more meat, but they are very much omnivores at this point. Um, we, we, we do restrict a lot of processed foods that we don't like and excess gluten and things like that. And we don't eat a lot of sugar in general. Um, it's very much a treat if we do. So there's, I'm still allowing them to be kids. And I also don't want to be, um, 
it's hard when you're dealing with other families because kids will eat things with those families and I'm trying not to make them social pariahs at this age. I'm trying not to make them hate me for that. It, not hate me, but I'm trying not to make them have a complex about food. Um, so I'm trying not to force things, but they're very much aware of what I do, why it works, and they know that meat's healthy, which I think is like great. Um, they're not, yes. you know, and once they get older and people start giving them more propaganda, then I can start going down this, this trail with them and show them, hey, this is what happened to me and this is why it's important. My wife um, very much eats similar to me, though she incorporates more of a paleo thing, but she eats a ton of meat, no glucose, no gluten. You know, she's, she's pretty much like carnivore light, uh, you know, I think. And she, she just, she can't, um, she can't get around the things she likes to have when it comes to like almond flour things or nuts or, or whatever, but she also is a fitness addict. So she works out a lot. Um, so I don't know that it's great for her gut at this point to, to have a ton of seeds and nuts, but, uh, she, her health markers are good otherwise. So, but she eats a lot of meat and the whole family does. Um, it's not just like when I was a kid, we rarely ate steak, you know, that wasn't common. Uh, we really, we might have to this bad for you, don't you know? Yeah, bad. Yeah, it's. I mean, maybe meatloaf and burgers, and you know, like we were Italian, so it was like meatballs and 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 Mm. that's or maybe sausage and bratwurst. But like we weren't eating steak regularly. We weren't eating London broil and stuff regularly. That was pretty rare. Whereas now it's like a normal everyday thing here. Yeah. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. So it's and it's not more expensive if you do it correctly and don't eat a bunch of junk. You know that the true. People say that all the time. The price thing is kind of out the window if you're eating one meal a day, you know. Exactly. And if you're not, you know, buying all that extra stuff that has to go with the meal because you have to have your starch, you have to have your vegetable, you have to have the blah, you know, and then so much of it goes to waste and yeah, and all the snacking you have to do because you're hungry all the time. It's like, no, actually, you know, yes, when you buy something, it, it is expensive for whatever it is. But if you look at all the stuff you're no longer buying, it, you actually come out a little better unless you're eating a soup or high, you know, <laughs> high dollar stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's speaking cool. of meats, I want you to kind of go, we kind of talked about this the other day, but what meats have you noticed oh. have more, I guess, what you'd say, output? Residue, yeah. Res- residue, uh, you, you know, the different types of meat or even the quality, you know, like say a ribeye versus a filet or whatever else you may eat or pork or whatever, you know. You yeah, um, I, I don't notice much of a difference between pork, chicken, and beef and its output. So... Mm-hmm. Well, if you're eating just like quality pork chop bacon or a quality ribeye or flank steak or something, I don't notice much of a difference. I do notice a difference if it's cooked all the way. Um, I do notice a difference if it's uh, charred. Um, smoked meats, I love. I love eating brisket and pork chops and that are smoked, or I mean, sorry, pork ribs that are smoked. I, I do pretty good brisket and pretty good ribs. Um, people have told me that. Uh, it's there's residue in them. They don't digest as easily. Uh, they're harder on my stomach. They, 
they typically take longer to digest and I notice more residue and output when I eat smoked brisket or something like that. The uh, Texas state food, don't you yeah. know? <laughs> and I think it's, I love it, man. I really do. I've, I've gotten really good at making smoked brisket and only in recent months-ish that I've noticed this more. Um, it's not as fulfilling uh, nutritionally that I can see as um, rare or raw steak. And I don't eat raw pretty regularly. I sear the crap out of my steaks and I eat them blue inside. Pretty much how I eat them. So they're like th two, three minutes per side in a cast iron pan and they're basically blue inside. I only do that because I like the tar char taste and, uh, you know, I, it's easy. Um, I could eat it raw, but raw is just an acquired taste that I, I kind of like a little bit, but it's, it's actually a little harder to, to eat. So, yeah, I mean, I noticed that even with processed meats like pepperoni or whatever um, processed deli meat, I don't notice a difference in the, in the way that it digests versus, versus um, rare steak. Um, yeah. I mean, pork, I, the only thing I would say about pork is I feel like it, it has a little more residue and also it doesn't make me personally feel like I have a lot of energy like steak does. Um, but I think I could survive on pork if I had to for a while. Um, chicken, on the other hand, tastes like water to me. But it does digest uh, fairly okay. But when you have um, like chicken breast that's totally cooked and it's sort of uh, shredded or it's just sort of harder to chew, uh, I, I find that it, does, it has bits and pieces all over the, the output chicken hmm. uh, when, it's, when it's like that. Uh, wings or something um, seem to be slightly bit like dark meat seems to digest a little easier, uh, but I don't need a ton of it. So I haven't done enough research on the difference of output um, ground beef. On the other hand, I would say uh, well-cooked ground beef or burgers. It does not digest as easily as rare steak. I actually feel kind of not great when I eat too much ground beef. It kind of feels like I'm almost bound up a little bit like a blockage is happening when I eat too much ground beef it does come out with more residue and it makes my digestion harder um yeah i just don't i don't think it's as easy to eat uh ground beef usually because i think people are cooking it well and i just i eat ground beef if it's cooked mm, like rare-ish mm -hmm. um but i prefer steak yeah me too if i had my way i'd have filet all the time but i like you know, the lean meat cuts or I like lean meats a lot, um, but they're they're very tasty. They don't satisfy as much, hmm. but they are really oh, the fat. Yeah, yeah, the lack of fat. I think that fillets taste amazing. My wife loves mm. them, um, but I I much prefer ribeye or flank steak or a T-bone. You know, uh, it's kind of my thing. I like flank steak and skirt steak a lot. Um, I eat it really rare inside, and I literally put it on coals. I put it on. I char it on a fire. So I make like a charcoal fire and I put the flank of the skirt steak directly on the coals. And I do that for like three minutes aside. And then I put it in foil, let it steam and chill. And then I slice it into medallions and it's rare inside. Mm. Delicious. I, it chars perfectly. It's just salt. And that's all I use is salt. Yeah. Do you eat seafood at all? Like I do eat some. Yeah. Um, so I've like, I've had crab. 
um, because I live in Maryland. Uh, It does not, it doesn't digest well. Um, There's sort of, it's similar to chicken in that it sort of has a residue output and some bits in the output. Uh, Salmon is similar. Um, If it's raw salmon like sashimi, it seems to digest fine. But when it's cooked, it's, it's very hard to eat a lot of it salmon is just filling and i find that most people feel that way i think um and other white fishes mm, i haven't had much of them to say shrimp is a no-no 100 percent uh shrimp is all stringy and does not oh. it can, yeah it can cause problems with anostomy uh but yeah there's all sorts of stringiness that happens in these now like the cocktail shrimp that's like teeny and jo- i imagine that probably doesn't do much but yeah you got to chew and chew and chew a shrimp if you're going to eat it. So I just don't. Wow. Would lobster be the same? Cause they're kind of similar in texture. I think? Lobster. It is. It does make me feel very, very bound up. Um, I don't. Huh. So, I mean, you know, I'm not into old Testament law as a religion, but I think there's something to be said about some shellfish. Uh, if you were to follow that, it's probably not ideal with digestion. Huh. I think some people are fine with it, but um, at least the ostomy patients, I would say to be careful because they can cause some blockages. Um, and I don't think they digest as easily. I mean, some people are fine with them. They, you know, and they probably digest in the colon. Okay. But I don't like them. Number one. I mean, I like the way they taste, but I don't like, um, how they make me feel. And number two, they don't seem to digest as easily. Hmm. Uh, you know, that so it's very interesting. I really wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. It, it seems like seafood would digest much easier than say red meat or something. No, I don't think it's even close actually. Wow. I think it's significantly, I think it's significantly different. Fascinating. Yeah. When it comes to residue or the way that it makes the digestion, how fast it digests or how easily it goes through meat is like red meat to digest near immediately. There's a, um, there's an old blog by a person that had a number of issues. Um, and they ended up with the jejunum, uh, the jejuostomy, which is basically no small intestine. It's a oh. outside of the stomach. It's called the roar of the wolverine, and they were able to sustain on meat, and it was digesting in the stomach. Wow. So, giving them ultimate nutrition, digesting quickly, and just water in the output for the, for the jejunum. So if you ask me, I mean, he probably had other issues like dehydration, or who knows, you're missing two vital organs, small and large intestine, but... I mean, he was at least able to sustain on nutrition on meat alone and have it digest just fine in his stomach. So I think it's clear. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person talking about this. I'm sure there are other people, but I just want people to know that this is, this is the truth. This is, it, it, meat is not sitting around. It's not hanging out. It's possible that meat could be I don't want to say this for sure, but it's possible that super done meat could have a problem. I don't know, but there is residue with really done meat. You know, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Don't eat it well done for health reasons, even if you don't, even if you like it. Well, uh, Bruce, I have so enjoyed this. And I, I think you have so much information to give based on your very unique situation. And I really appreciate you coming on the, on, on my podcast and talking about it. Yeah. I appreciate having me on. I really like, uh, 
telling people about this because it's pretty mind blowing, even for my myself initially. It was it was a crazy discovery. I can imagine, <laughs> definitely. Well, I hope you continue to talk about this so more and more people can learn from your experience and you know maybe save themselves a whole lot of hurt later on. And even if they do have to have something like what you've had, that they might be able to approach it a little differently so they don't have as many issues. So please keep on spreading the word. I, I think, you know, it, it's great what you have to say. And I really, really appreciate the fact that you have turned something so, you know, life altering into something positive. I love that. I think, you know, your outlook, your attitude, you know, how, how you used it to, you know, enhance your life instead of giving up and just going, Oh, you know, my life is crap now. You know, I, I, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have children that need me. So there's, that's a motivator, but also I found something that works. And so it gives you a lot more hope. Um, initially it was hard, you know, and I didn't, I wasn't positive about how this would go, but now I have a great outlook that's better than ever before because of this. So I'm trying to tell people all as much as I can. Um, you know, it's it, between this and, um, you know, food addiction and emotional eating. These are, these are things that I definitely can relate to and, uh, tell people, you know, as much as I can, uh, hopefully give them some support. So that's my plan. Awesome. Thanks again, Bruce. I have really enjoyed this and you have a wonderful rest of your evening. All right. No problem. Bye.